Raptors, Warriors. We're going to talk a little bit about Raptors, Warriors in a little while. Here's something that we plan to do on London Live. If you are thinking, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm not watching this. I'm not paying attention. I'm not a basketball person. Then a little later on in the show, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to outline three players on the Raptors and three players on the Golden State Warriors. I'm going to give you a little backstory on all of them. And it may help to turn you into a fan. See, this is the thing that people don't necessarily allow themselves to do when it comes to sports. If you just look at something as, wow, it's just a hockey game, it can be really boring. It really can. It's a ice surface with a rubber puck and some people with sticks. That's it. A basketball is a gym floor, an orange ball, and what? A lot of tall people, right? Boring. They're going to try and get the orange ball through the hoop, and whoever does it more often than they win. Boring. And I, I'm completely with you. When you look at some of the backstory into people, though, when you start to learn who these people are, what makes them good, what makes them worth paying attention to, I'm telling you, it'll keep you up past midnight tonight watching game number one. So we'll do that a little later on. Anybody worrying about Kawhi Leonard leaving the Raptors? Just don't even think about that. Just enjoy this. This doesn't come around very often. This is like the professional athlete who will say, yeah, I thought I was going to get to more championship opportunities. I thought I thought I was going to do that every year. It doesn't come around very often. This could be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Think about poor Leaf fans. You go back to 1967, they haven't been back to the finals since then, let alone win. So it can be a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Don't worry about outside question marks if you're a big-time Raptors fan. Just enjoy this. Just enjoy it. We are going to talk basketball on a, a smaller level, if you think about what other sports have gone through in their growth, and maybe a, a good example is Wayne Gretzky going to California. What happened then? It was a brilliant move, whether it was orchestrated or not. It ended up happening, and he went to L.A., and that spawned an absolute huge growth in the sport. If you go back even before then in the sport of hockey, the miracle on ice in the United States credited with a huge growth. If you look at 1996, the United States won what was a World Cup then. The reason they did that was largely because of the miracle on ice. It all coincided with the age of kids going, wow, this was amazing. I want to play this. And next thing you know, more of them did, and they got really good, and they became a world power. So what have the Raptors done for basketball in Canada? Well, I think the growth is still going and still happening. In fact, basketball turned a very interesting corner. You realize before, just about a year or two ago, when you played minor basketball, you didn't play in a league. You just played tournaments. Well, how does that work? Yeah, there's no league. This is not like minor hockey. It's not as developed. But now there are leagues that certain teams can get into. And from there, things will continue to grow. Yeah, it's been tournament-based. You would play in tournaments, and depending on how you did in those tournaments, you would kind of go up and down in a ranking. 
And at the end of the year, they would kind of cut everybody up into slices and you would play a provincial championship against teams that were close to your skill level. That's the way it would work. Now that started to change a little bit. But we're going to talk with Jake Morrison, who is the head coach of the London Ramblers U15 team, so under 15 players. And we'll just talk minor basketball. Where does that sit? How is this sport coming? Because here's a question that I'll throw out there, and you can email me your thoughts on it or you can tweet me your thoughts on it. What would be bigger right now if the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series or if the Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship? What do you think would be the bigger thing? Ultimately, the Leafs winning the Stanley Cup, I don't think you top that for Southwestern Ontario in terms of fan bases. But what would be bigger? The Jays and the Raptors are pretty comparable because they're the only team in that particular league and that kind of particular pro sport in the country. So what would be bigger? Jays winning the World Series or Raptors winning the NBA championship? I think it's the Raptors. I really do. But I'm the guy that believes baseball is dying. It's got... It's got some time, but ultimately it'll be the first pro sport to go. Email me, Mike, at 980cfpl.ca if you want to weigh in on that. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. We're not only going to talk basketball on the show today. This is a fun day. This is a very fun day. It's one of my favorite days of the year. Want to know why? CAA has come out with their worst roads. And yes, we're represented. We always are. Worst roads. So where do you think the worst roads are? Well, there's usually the same road on there all the time. Wonderland, yeah, made the list. Warncliffe, yes, a part of Warncliffe is on the list. But we'll talk about the worst roads. And then we'll get your thoughts on bad spots to drive in London. Where do they need to fix this up? And construction cannot have an impact on this. Unless you want to talk about King Street, which is where we're going to begin today. There is a serious problem with the King Street cycle track. Now, it is due to be completed by tomorrow, May 31st, 2019. If I look right here, this is an actual, you can hear it, city release. Now, I printed it off. I'm sorry for, sorry for the tree, but I wanted the effect. That is a city release that it will be finished by May 31st, 2019. And although... It's there now, and people are wheeling into it with their bikes. Uh, The grand opening is not for another couple of weeks. But there appears to be a real concern with the transit islands that, I don't know about you, those seem to go up so fast. I know it's the pouring of concrete. They look really cool, actually. I'm impressed by them. But there is a, a big problem, and we'll start off with what that is and what this could mean for the City of London when we return on London Live. We'll be joined by a man who's got some very strong thoughts on it, Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire. He's next. Raptors and Warriors tonight at 9, tomorrow, let's call it Bleary-Eyed Friday. In the meantime, lots to talk about on the radio. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, Andy has weighed in saying the Raptors winning the NBA championship would be bigger than the Jays winning the World Series because the Jays have done it before, the Raptors have not. Very valid point. Very valid point. Everybody likes new stuff, right? How can I miss you if you won't go away? It, it means it means what it means. How can I miss you if you won't go away? The Jays have gone away long enough where if they won the World Series, it would be big. But yeah, show me something I haven't seen before. 
That's why magic is amazing when you're a kid. Wow. He pulled a rabbit out of that hat. By the time you hit your 40s, 50s, and 60s, do you know how many rabbits you've seen pulled? Are you even allowed to do that anymore? Does PETA crack down on rabbits and hats? Probably. But a coin trick. Grandfathers love the coin trick. Because kids haven't seen it before. Grandfathers can't do the coin trick for other grandfathers. They go, what are you doing? I've already seen that. That's not interesting. Show me something I haven't seen before. Something we haven't seen before, I guess just a few weeks ago in London, is great big islands on King Street as part of the King Street cycle track. This thing, if we look at the transformation of King Street, it's like it happened overnight. It didn't, but it's like one day it was three lanes, and the next day it had all kinds of of great big concrete islands all along it. Boom, 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 boom. Well, there's an issue with this, and helping us to understand what exactly is at play here is Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire. Councillor Squire, how are things? Things are good. The Raptors are going to win in six. I love this prediction already. Raptors... I'm going on the limb. In six. I'm going to write that down. Is that okay? Thank you. Yeah, you write it down. Okay. And then, um, you know, I'd like to... I'm My next career is going to be as a sports prognosticator so this is this is the start good well you're off to a good start because Excellent. you're you're going against the betting line but that's what you have to Don't do in care. order to be successful this as a sports prognosticator this is what i do this is my thing <laughs> i i go against the the majority line and take a little bit of risk well we love you for it let's look yeah. at the king street cycle yeah. track and yeah. the fact that this is going in place and it's going to be great for people to go east west there's yeah. been that call for an east west for a while yeah. we have a lot of these concrete islands that have been put in place because buses are still on king street so councillor squire spell out the issue that has kind of been brought forward yeah so the issue is first of all i think this is a result of two things first of all a political decision being made without finding out what it would actually look like on the ground. So the past city council, reaffirmed by this city council, said, we want a temporary bike lane on King Street. Make it happen, staff. So it's not the fault of staff. They were given their marching orders here by politicians, and as you know, we're not engineers. Usually what we do is say, look, let's get all the input from the engineers as to how this will work best, and then let's make a decision based on that. But we did the opposite here. The other thing is, of course, Dundas Street is still closed with construction. That's important because Dundas Street is supposed to be the permanent east-west way for bicyclists to get all the way from the Thames Valley Parkway to East London. We've already decided that. Um, that was part of a long-term plan. That is going to be fantastic. Anybody who rides a bike is going to love using that. But what we did is we said, look, we have a temporary problem here because of Dundas Street. So let's put a temporary bike lane on King. And, of course, we didn't talk to everybody about it. We didn't talk to the market, who the merchants there obviously do a lot of loading on King Street, a lot of stopped cars. We didn't talk to the merchants on the other side, who have no place to unload other than in front of their stores. We didn't talk to the LTC. I know I'm a member of the LTC board, and they brought a report last night saying this has been a huge problem, first of all, in terms of time. So buses are going to be late because they get stuck in here. But the second thing, and most important, is the safety issue. Because what we're seeing is people see those islands and they cross to get to the islands. And you've seen people running for buses. Well, they're now running across the street to get to a traffic island. 
So what we're left with is really a very bad on-the-ground situation on King Street that nobody is really happy with, that isn't the fault of anybody. It's not the fault of the cycling community. It's really the fault of us at council. Now, I didn't vote in favor of it, but that, that, that doesn't mean that council as a whole decided to go ahead with this before, I think, really knowing what was going to work best. And, and I see that a lot at City Hall. I'll be honest with you, Mike. Every time I go to a meeting at City Hall, somebody, one of my colleagues, comes forward with a last-minute proposal to do something without any planning for it. So they want to build this or do this or do that. They don't think about whether we can actually do it, what the cost of it might be. And it, it, it makes for this kind of situation on the ground that really, if you drive down there, walk down there, do anything down there, it's a very, uh, very hectic situation that's, that's a little bit dangerous for people. Absolutely. King Street has been kind of a dangerous spot for cyclists trying to go east and west. And, and this this seemed to, and maybe you run into this, Councillor Squire, when something seems like it will fix everything up and then, well, actual life gets involved and you realize, yeah, it's like teaching someone to drive. And you can say, you know, all you have to do is stay in your lane and then signal at yeah. the intersection. And then you realize, wait a minute, wait a minute. There are people who are unpredictable. There are people who are going to cross the street. There are people who are going to, you know, dart in front yeah. of you, not signal, throw things out the window, all that stuff. Well, so, just, yeah, just imagine you're a bus driver and you're coming down Richmond Street and you turn left onto King and you're faced with this situation. You've got to try to fit a huge vehicle in this space. You've got to look out all around you for pedestrians. Um, it's, it's not something that I think we should have done. And it's sort of against, not sort of, it's against the policy which we have. We have a policy now that when we do a street or we redo a street, we look at every type of transportation. We make sure there's going to be uh, good use for bikes. We make sure pedestrians are going to be safe. And we also make sure the vehicular traffic is going to be safe. But we didn't do that here. And if I could convince my colleagues on council of one thing, it would be before you tell staff to go ahead and do something, make sure they can do it uh, properly. Because I remember very well when this was this came first came to council, it did not come through staff. This was a complete surprise to our staff that, that this re- request was going to be made. So we have nobody to blame but ourselves at council for making this kind of decision. And I think there's a lesson there, which the lesson will be, let's do it right. And the good news is this is a temporary situation. This is a temporary bike path. The long-term solution, which I think is best, is to have our primary bus route on Dundas Street, use the Flex Street, which is going to be pretty safe, um, and let's use that new bike lane that's going to go all the way down Dundas Street. That's what we should be doing. And in fact, when we did that, we, we consulted with everybody. We consulted with the merchants on Dundas Street to see what they wanted, cyclists, and it worked. it's going to work out really well. So there's a lesson here, and I'd like to I'd like to see council be a little more thoughtful when we when we do these kind of street designs. But part of it, I have to say, is just the typical construction summer situation in a Canadian city where you've got too much traffic on one or two streets because other streets are closed. And when Dundas Street is open, I think it'll be a good street and hopefully we can get back to normal. Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire joining us. Now, the temporary part, are the actual concrete islands temporary or would they still remain after Dundas reopens and bike traffic goes? Now that's another issue that I think some of us raised was that this project was projected to cost $600,000. Now it may cost more now if you've got a 
redesign traffic islands and, and do that sort of thing. So we'll know what the final cost is, but that's, that's for a temporary measure. So I know some people think this is the way it's going to be and it's permanent, but that's, that's not what was done here. The idea is when, uh, when the, if the BRT for, for King Street, the downtown part of BRT is approved, that this will not be there. So we're, for me, it's good news. It's a temporary measure. But if you're a taxpayer, you're saying, really? You're spending, you know, 600000 plus on something temporary that isn't really working very well for everybody? And that's what we have to do with streets now is make sure that streets work for everyone. Make sure there's a bike lane that's safe for bikers and make sure that we have enough, you know, capacity for, for vehicles. So I think at the end of the day, uh, this is, should be a lesson that, uh, that's being taught to us that if you're going to do a job, do it right, and let's get away from that reputation London has for never quite doing things right in the way they, they should be. But Councillor Squire, the MIDA understand this right, then when both streets open up, we're going to see people with sledgehammers going out and breaking up all of those concrete islands? Is that happening? Well, that's the plan right now. It is a temporary, they are temporary bike lanes. Now, I was on them the other day. Um, I actually went on the bike to work day with a great group of people from CycleLink. So we tried it out, um, and um, it wasn't officially open, but we were allowed to try it. And uh, everybody there seems to think it, they do think it's a permanent structure, and most people seem to think it is, but it's not. No, it's a, it's, these are temporary bike lanes, which will be taken out when, uh, uh, when BRT is put on that street. Now, is that what's going to happen? I think there'll be a debate about that also. I think, I think at the end of the day, we'll go back to that. We'll be arguing about whether we should change them from temporary to permanent. Because one of the things I've learned in this city is when you do something temporary, like put in a traffic island, it often becomes permanent. So it's a wait-and-see situation. But our policy right now is to have our bike traffic using Dundas Street. And we will have bike lanes on Dundas Street all the way from the Thames Valley Parkway down to Old East Village, which will be fantastic for for people like me who like to get out on their bikes. But the other issue is, once we do that, do we also want to have people on King Street? And that's a that's a discussion I think my council might have to have to have. And then I'll we'll be looking to see whether indeed it was a temporary bike lane or whether it's going to become something more permanent. So stay tuned. Okay. And one last thing. In the meantime, because we have certainly complaints coming in about Richmond and the fact that the positioning of some of those islands have buses that kind of hang out onto Richmond sometimes, and that creates just, a, you mentioned, yeah. the, the mess that it can be. Is yeah. anything going to be done about that, or are we looking at this as being, hey, this is temporary, wait until everything is, is done, and, and then... And then we'll watch and see what has happened after the dust settles. Is that, yeah, is that so it? What, what, yeah, so I was at the LCC meeting last night, and we discussed just that. And the idea is that uh, there is ongoing discussions between the city and the LTC about what might work. But I guess my point would be, why didn't we have these chats at the beginning? Why weren't we doing this at the, at the beginning and saying, LTC, can you get a bus around that corner safely? And if the answer is no, then you, you do it in another way. But... I think the thing you have to remember, Mike, is there's so many things going on on that street. You've got the market, which is really busy, so people are parking in front of it. You've got merchants across the street who have to park in front of their places to, to you know, load and unload items. Um, you've got buses. You've got, you've got cars. You've got closed streets. So, yeah, it's, this is a mess from, that's going to be there for, for a while, and goodness knows how we're going to 
how we're going to fix it in the short term and what we're going to decide to do about it in the long term. Councillor Squire, thanks so much for talking about it with us and kind of outlining what we can expect going forward. Good good to be with you. Raptors in six. Do not forget that, Mike. Sir. I still have it written down. Raptors Perfect. in six. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you after the Raptors win in six. Excellent. Bye. <laughs> Take care. That's Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire. That's interesting that those islands are considered temporary. Am I being naive that I didn't know that? Because that sounds strange to me. Then, then why, why did we do this? People have been trying to navigate their way down King Street. We did that very same ride into work that Councillor Squire is talking about, what, a year ago now? I think it's about a year. It's at least six months ago. And one of the things that we did, Ben Cowie from the London Bicycle Cafe said, hey, stop here. And we stopped at the corner of King and Clarence. And he said, okay, just watch. Watch the bike traffic, because this was during rush hour. Watch the bike traffic on King Street. And we did. And there were people that you would say, how are you expecting to survive? What are you doing? You're darting in and around buses. You're, you're flying from the far right to the far left. He goes, that's what they have to do if they want to use King Street. So you can understand wanting to make it safer, but at the same time, this is temporary? Should I have known that? I'm thinking I should have, but it sounds like I'm not the only one who didn't. We'll talk more about this in a minute. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've been talking streets. We're going to turn that into a conversation about roads in just a moment because CAA is out with their worst roads. Did we make the list? You bet we did. Woo! I shouldn't be cheering, right? That's that's not a thing we celebrate. That's no? Okay, I'll stop clapping. Before we even get to roads, Bob, do you still want to talk some streets with us? Bob, you there? Oh, yeah, there, there you I'm- go. Now we've got you. How are you? Pretty good yourself. Good. Hey, uh, so yeah, you're talking about that. Uh, just uh, was it past Richmond onto King, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was down there last week for the first time. I went through that, and uh, when I got through there, I'm like, this is a real cluster puck. I mean, this is just a uh, yeah. That's an accident waiting to happen. There was a you know, I was behind. I know a few cars, and you know, there's a lot of traffic that headed past that area, and there were people crossing the road and hanging out like on the curb and. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is not a good. late night, too. I'm thinking, yeah, there's lots of stuff going on late night around that area. <laughs> I'm like, something's going to get picked off. But, uh, yeah, hopefully they kind of, you know, reconsider doing something different there. But my uh, prediction on the uh, on the Raptors Nuggets series. Okay, I'm right. Raptors Warriors. <laughs> Warriors, sorry. Um, yeah, I'm going to go uh, Raptors in six and Warriors in four. <laughs> and you need both of those? I'll give you both of those. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, either you know, rain or sunshine, I don't know, whatever. Raptors but, 6, Warriors and 4. Bob, thanks for the call. All right. <laughs> take care. We'll take a quick break. Next up, we will be joined by Raymond Chan from CAA, and we will run down the worst roads. London, in the western region, has hit the top five. Oh, man, twice. Details on that next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Driving has its challenges. We just outlined King Street, which it seems if you're driving, cycling, walking, standing, it has its 
challenges, some of them temporary until BRT comes, then they just rip the whole thing up and we get something brand new that will likely have challenges. It's part of getting around. Well, when you look at worst roads, CAA does an excellent job of keeping track of the worst of the worst. And we always, this is one of my favorite days. We always like to see how we stack up against the competition. Best, worst, medium, not so average. Let's kind of get a thought or two on how we do sit in 2019 because in past worst roads we've always seemed to crack the top five very few years going back over the last little while have we failed to be there oxford street east in 2015 2017 we had dundas street the entire thing 2018 we had oxford street east again and dundas street at the same time in the last five years only once have we failed to crack the top five in worst roads this year i think we've done it twice raymond chan joins us right now from caa raymond how are things with you today Hey, Mike, I'm doing well. We're um, anxiously awaiting the Raptors game that's going to be happening later on this evening. Everybody who's called in today, unsolicited, has made a prediction. Do you want to make a prediction? You don't have to. I think the Raps are going to take it tonight. The Raps will win tonight. Do you, do you think they'll take the series as well? I think it'll be close, but I think we can definitely pull it off, for sure. The, uh, the momentum is growing, uh, not only here at home in, in, in Canada, but also around the world as well. I think everyone's cheering for what they perceive as the underdog, which is the Raptors. So go Raps, go. All right, I've got Raymond down for Raptors win. Do you want to predict a number of games like everybody else has? Uh, I'm not going to get too far and speculate on that one, but okay. I'm just going to say that uh, that they're going to win the series. That's, that's, that's all I'll say at this point, yeah. Raptors win. I've got you down for that. Okay, let's talk roads go. because – uh, sometimes we just can't win when it comes to roads. And in London, we've uh, we've hit the top five twice in worst roads in the Western region. Yeah, we really can't win. So London is in uh, what we call the Western region, uh, and, and, and we release a top ten worst roads list each year along with uh, several regional lists. And this year we've got uh, Warncliffe Road South uh, uh, coming in at number one. And then coming in at number five, we have Wonderland Road. Uh, so you've got two roads from the uh, city of London that are in the uh, top five Western list. I want to say hooray, but I don't think I should. How do you come up with what a worst road is? Give us some of the criteria that you crunch. Sure. So we're in our 16th year of the campaign, and uh, we, like I said, just released the top 10 uh, today along with some regional uh, lists with respect to worst roads. And really what the campaign is all about is we're trying to attract the comments from local residents. We want to know what their pain points are, and, and they've spoken loud and clear. Um, and, and, and they've told us that these are the problem areas with their local communities. Um, and, and these just aren't simply motorists either. They're, um, they're a variety of road users, so people that uh, rely on a bike or people that may use our sidewalks and our pedestrians each day, or even our transit riders as well, because everyone's got a gripe when it comes to their daily commute. So locally, are we able to break it down enough that we know what the issues are with Warncliffe Road South and with Wonderland Road, or we just know they've made the list? So it's potholes and crumbling pavement is, uh, is what I've seen from our, from our data that, uh, that we've collected throughout the campaign, and that seems to be a reoccurring theme throughout the province as well, that uh, because of our harsh uh, climate and, and our... Um, and our freeze and thaw cycles, many of them, which we went through this past winter season, it's been quite detrimental towards our our local infrastructure. So it's been quite bad out there. 
Raymond Chan joining us from CAA as we talk worst roads. So I guess if you look back, we do tend to see different roads on the list kind of year after year, especially in London. We mentioned it. We had Oxford, then we had Nunn, then we had Oxford and Dundas. Now we've got Warncliffe and, and Wonderland. At least they're different roads. Can we read anything into that that at least maybe these are being addressed? Well, I think uh, w- with respect to some roads, certainly some are, are, are getting a little bit more attention than others, and that's simply because uh, th- there's more traffic and there's more wear and tear on, on, on some particular arterial and, and, and major roads. Um, so those roads I would expect to get a little bit more attention, a little bit more money dedicated towards them. But you've also got some smaller roads that haven't seen um, as much activity, but you know, that are still in a bit of a state of disrepair. So we're starting to see governments pay a little bit more attention to uh, to lists and, and, and also campaigns like the Worst Roads campaign because it really provides a snapshot and a glimpse as to what the local residents and people out there are thinking about their local roads. Okay, so we've got our, our local roads now. If we look at things in terms of Ontario's top 10 worst roads for 2019, can we at least get a reprieve in London that we didn't crack that top 10? So London has no roads in our top 10, and it hasn't in the past several years, which uh, could lead me to speculate that uh, London roads aren't super, super terrible. And I've been to London a couple times. You've got a lot of congestion issues, certainly, and, and there are problematic areas. Um, but, but there's a lot of problematic areas across the province, and I think every region has uh, different issues. And with respect to London, I would mostly say that uh, congestion-related issues and, and, and potholes here and there certainly have something to do with it but you guys to the best of my knowledge haven't been on our top 10 list for a number of years at least we can give a hooray to that absolutely hooray all right (laughs) hooray where do we want to avoid who did come in kind of at number one or at least on the top 10 of note yeah so i'll give you our top three here so number one worst road for 2019 in all of ontario is eglinton street east in toronto uh, that's largely due to crumbling pavements and potholes, but also some missing and confusing uh, road signs as well as road paint. Uh, so for those out there that, uh, that aren't aware, Eglinton Avenue is actually undergoing the largest transit expansion in North American history with an LRT line. Um, so there's a lot of wear and tear on the roads, heavy, heavy trucks and equipment that are utilizing that road each and every day. Uh, number two is Riverdale Drive, which is located in Washago, which is a community a little bit uh, north of Aurelia. Uh, that's a very small community, but uh, it seems like they're small, but they're very vocal this time around and have managed to get themselves a, a road up into our top ten list. And then coming out at number three, we have Dufferin Street in Toronto, which seems to be a reoccurring theme each and every year on our top ten list. Uh, Dufferin had some improvements made a couple years ago, and we're looking to uh, much more, hopefully, in the very near future. Raymond Chan joining us from CAA as we talk about the worst roads in Ontario. So as he has just outlined, Eglinton Avenue East in Toronto, Riverdale Drive in Washago, and Dufferin Street in Toronto. Those are one, two, and three. How long does it take you to compile this list? So we run the campaign uh, each spring, and uh, we open it up for about a month where we encourage the public to go to our website, caaworstroads.com. They nominate their roads, and then from there we take all of the votes that are counted. Uh, we work with our partners at the Ontario Road Builders Association, ORBA, um, who actually send out local crews to various communities to um, do a bit of an assessment of the roads for us. So uh, they provide us with a feedback report on, uh, on the grading of the road, how bad they think it is, and they make some recommendations on what improvements could be made. 
then in turn, we take that information and we go and uh, chat with local municipalities as well as provincial leaders about um, funding allocation and how we can actually get these roads improved and fixed up. Great stuff. And what kind of a response do you get when you kind of advocate? Well, I think we've gotten a fabulous response, especially from the public, and, and we've seen growth in the campaign year over year. Um, this year, we actually had 53% of all Ontario municipalities um, have some sort of road that's been nominated through the campaign. So if you think about that, we have 444 municipalities across the province. That's about 235 which have uh, some sort of road that's appeared on the campaign. So I think that really speaks volumes about uh, the number of problems that exist out there. Uh, the number of challenges that uh, that need to be conquered. And uh, really, I want to get decision makers to start thinking about um, how to allocate more permanent and dedicated funding and, and, and dollars towards things like road improvements. So it's very important. Raymond, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. And go Raps, go again. You've picked them to win. We'll see what happens. That is Raymond Chan from CAA. So far, does anybody want to pick Warriors? Bob did pick Warriors in four. The Raptors fever, that's that's a pretty wild thing. Have you seen some of the pictures of people lining up as of 6.30 this morning to get into Jurassic Park? So picture this. You have Scotiabank Place, the arena where the Raptors play, or the Leafs play as well, and that's where the game will take place. Inside, tickets there, unless you're willing to spend thousands. Good luck. But then you can go into Jurassic Park, which is outside the building. And in order to get there, you have to get a ticket, but you have to also be one of the people able to fit in there. There's a finite number. So people started lining up. Remember, the game is at 9 o'clock tonight, and then will continue past 10, past 11, till almost 12 o'clock, very likely, because there are a lot of commercials to sell in the finals. Things are drawn out. So it'll continue till almost midnight. People started lining up at 6.30 this morning. That's how crazy Things are getting. People are excited. Very excited. Is it healthy? I'm not sure. I haven't decided that. If you're in line, hopefully you're healthy. You got a long time to wait, even still. We'll talk more Raptors in a little while. We're going to talk some minor basketball in the London area and see what kind of an effect even having the Raptors over the years has had and how the sport itself is growing. We are also going to talk with the biggest Raptors fan here at Chorus Radio London. And if you don't want to watch the Raptors at all, I have an idea for you. I can make it interesting for you. I promise. We'll do that before the end of the show. But if you want to weigh in on bad roads, please feel free to do so right now. We've got Warncliffe and we've got Wonderland. But if you were to look at the nastiest spot you navigate, either because of crumbling pavement, either because of potholes, maybe it's a stoplight that stays red for three minutes if you don't get through it at the right time. Phone lines are open, 519-643-2222. You can email mike at 980cfpl.ca. Where should we be paying attention? We already talked earlier this hour with Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire about some of the issues along King because of the temporary bike lane and those bus islands that have been constructed. 519 Email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980cfpl. Just got a tweet from Stan, who was actually downtown right around the entrance to Jurassic Park earlier today. He says, amazing energy, lots of folks milling around getting excited for game one. There was a lineup like a door crasher Black Friday sale. All right, that paints the picture, doesn't it? 
Let's talk roads. If you're to look at the worst spot that you deal with in London, what needs to be brought up? Because Warncliffe and Wonderland, we could put them on the list every year. We could put parts of Oxford on the list every year. We could put parts of Dundas on the list every year. Where is it in London that you feel needs attention? 519-643-2222. Al, where would you point the finger? How are you doing, Mike? Great. No street in this city can be worse than Wilton Grove Road East before Veterans Memorial. So Wilton Grove it, Road, what makes that so bad? Oh, the potholes. You, you, and unless you want to destroy ball joints and stuff on your truck, you can't go over 50 kilometers an hour. And uh, once they put Veterans Memorial through, the road was bad before that, but now they put Veterans Memorial through, all the trucks are using that road. It is just demolished. Like, you, the road bike, road cyclists can't go down it anymore. It is so bad. It's worse than a gravel road. Wilton Grove Road East before Veterans Memorial Parkway. Al, thanks for that. Yep, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Another Al joins us. Al, how's your day going? Good, how are you? Good. I was just actually going to say the exactly same road. Were you really? Yeah, because we have to do a detour because the city's doing uh, construction because of the, the Maple Leaf Foods there. Right. So, and, and Dingman as well is very bad, too, as well. I contacted the city about this, and they don't even care at all. I told him I'm getting dented to my car, and it won't go road. It's just it's terrible, and didn't drive as well. It's just brutal as well. Okay. All right. So two Al's both saying the same thing, Wilton Grove Road East before Veterans Memorial Parkway. Al, you have a great day. Hey, and the sad thing is that the construction guys that did the work here, yeah. it's going to be closed even more because they put the wrong pipe in the ground, so we have to do a detour even longer now. So by the end of the month. is that down yeah. by 401 in Wilton Grove Road you're talking? It's, it's down right by the Flying G there where they're putting yeah. the Maple Leaf Foods. Uh. So they put the wrong pipe in the ground. Now it's going to be delayed even longer. Now we have to travel on these, on these crappy roads for even longer now. And they'll just deteriorate even more because the truck traffic on there is pretty major. All the truck did, all the trucks are going to kill it even more. Al, thanks for the call. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one. You too. 519-643-2222. Elaine, where would you point the finger at roads in London? I'm sorry? Where would you point to? Um, I live on Wonderland, but I have a different problem. Okay. In this, okay, I'm right by Westmount Mall, and we have a lot of seniors here. And crossing, like, Village Green, crossing Wonderland, the... Amount of time is just not enough for the seniors. They're halfway across the road, and it turns. And the lights and turn. It, yeah, and the people start up and just start going. Okay, all right. So they need more time. All right, well, hey, that's something to bring up as well. That's what we said. Whatever yep. it is in the city that you're looking at saying that needs to change, Elaine, the light, so would it be at, huh. at kind of Viscount somewhere around there, or is that too far south? Um, well, we're at Village Green, so, you're so at Village I really Green. noticed it there. Okay, yeah. so at Village Green and, and Wonderland. And commissioners, too, yeah. Okay. And commissioners turns quick as well. Thanks for the call. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We'll pass these on for what they are worth, so keep them coming in. Got an email from Rob, and Rob has pointed to two. He says, Warncliffe northbound south of Horton. He says he thought they were doing simple road work. They've actually brought the curbs out further, and that eliminates one complete lane of traffic. He's thinking bike lanes. I think that is what's happening there. And he says, Nixon northbound at Southdale. They moved the bus stop about 100 feet a year ago. 
And so it's basically at the corner of Nixon and Southdale. When the bus stops there, traffic backs up and blocks Southdale. Making it crazy. And another email that's come in from Marty, and Marty says, have you been over the tracks on Rideout going southbound from Budweiser Gardens? Actually, yes, and it's northbound too. I don't think that's the city's issue. Those are nasty. That is that is a massive, massive bump. Okay, one more call on this. Kevin, that is you. Where would you point? Oh, sorry, Mike. I got to hop on the Wilton Grove uh, train there. Um I work in that area, and I used to take Highbury, but since they shut that intersection down by the Tim Hortons, you have to go up to Veterans Memorial, and like later on, early in the spring, I had a pothole and bent the rim on my, on my tire. Come on. So I had to switch that out, and so there, then there's another option. You can go up Old Victoria to Dingman and hop on Highbury that way, but they had a pothole that was three-quarters of both lanes. It was gigantic. Wow. Like, it was insane. Like, there's no good way to get around it. I'm just glad I haven't bent another rim. I was so mad. Kevin, good luck out there. Thanks. Bye. Take care. We'll take a break for news. Thanks for the calls. Thanks for the feedback. Keep those coming at Mike at 980CFBL.ca. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980CFBL. More road things are coming in. Chrissy has said... There is a road, and I'm not sure I can make out what the name of it is. Uh, she says, potholes are so large, ducks are bathing in them. Brought this to the attention of the City of London three years ago. No luck as of yet. Just asking for the huge potholes to be filled with a hot patch of tar sometime this summer. I think this is actually going back to Wilton Grove Road. I think that's what she's referring to. So how many votes do we need for this? Wilton Grove Road East before Veterans Memorial Parkway. Has more truck traffic on it right now. And we heard from Al just before news that that's not going to change because apparently they made a mistake in something that they've installed and they've got to redo it. If you've driven in and around there, I mean, it's fortunate that we don't see more issues because at peak times, you know what happens? Normally, you'll have truck traffic and other traffic that is coming, let's say, south out of the city along Highbury. So picture that. And you're going by the Flying J. The Tim Hortons is right there. Normally, you would be able to turn right and go down Dingman Drive, right? And you can't do that. So now, traffic is going down to the next spot. And a lot of times there's a stream of traffic at rush hour and you've got people trying to turn left through that stream of traffic onto Highbury. And the the danger factor is there because every once in a while someone will get really frustrated and just say, you know what, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. Everybody else can stop. And hopefully that continues to happen. But no, it's uh, it's not planned out. All that well, is it? Uh, Shaver Street, Chrissy says. Thank you. Shaver Street just off Wellington Road on the east side. So that's the street Chrissy was referring to. She says, uh, potholes, so large, ducks are bathing in them. It's a nice sight to see. You bring the ducks, grab a loaf of bread, the kids... Head out, feed the ducks. This hour, we are going to talk with Weaver from Country 104. You know how big the Raptors seem to be getting, right? 
We talked about the lineup at 6.30 in the morning just to get into Jurassic Park. Last series, it was about a six-hour lineup. Now things are, are starting to get even crazier. Well, Weaver's going to help us to understand how things have hit a Tickle Me Elmo level. You remember Tickle Me Elmo, right? The little Elmo doll that you squeezed him and he laughed. And, I don't know, he shook. And that became the toy that every kid all of a sudden had to have. We had a Tickle Me Elmo. I got one for my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. This is how far back this goes. We're going to be married 22 years. She was my girlfriend at the time, and I got her a Tickle Me Elmo for Christmas. And I remember looking at this thing and thinking, yeah, okay, it's kind of funny, and you laugh at it the first few times. It only did about three things, and it shook and it vibrated. I thought, if a kid has this, it's not very cuddly. There's a great big plastic thing in the middle. Why exactly would a kid want this? What are you going to do with this? After you go through the ha 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 ha, it's done. You're finished. It's not a cuddly thing. It, it doesn't make dinner for you. It's just a thing. But my point is the craze of Tickle Me Elmo was wild. Remember the stories of moms just cold cocking other moms in the aisle to get the last Tickle Me Elmo on the shelf? These things were happening. People were climbing over each other as the stores opened. There were stampedes just to get this stupid Tickle Me Elmo. Well, we have a Tickle Me Elmo type thing that actually happened in London, and it's probably happening in other spots too. So Weaver will fill us in on that a little later on, and we'll also have to talk superstition because... If you are a big enough fan, you will believe that you have to do certain things in order to help your team to win. And this is just the human psyche. And Weaver is in that position. He's got a lot of stuff that he's got to do before tonight's game in order to help the Raptors win. So we'll outline that. If you are not a Raptors fan, my goal is, by the end of this hour, to turn you into one. Okay? And if you're not going to be a Raptors fan, I can also turn you into a Golden State Warriors fan. If you're hearing all this stuff and think this is too much, can everybody shut up about the Raptors? Okay, that's because you haven't taken time just to learn a little bit that would turn you into a fan. And it it will take no time at all. I will outline a couple of things about some people in the series. The best things come from Kawhi Leonard, believe it or not. This guy's amazing. He really is. And I'll tell you things about Kawhi Leonard that you probably don't know. This is nothing about him maybe leaving Toronto. This is nothing about what he does. This is nothing about his three-point shooting percentage. It's not that stuff. It's about him as a person. So some stories about Kawhi Leonard and a few other players that you can then watch later on tonight and say, hey, you know, you want to know something about Kawhi Leonard? You want to know something about Kyle Lowry? You want to know something about Pascal Siakam? Here, listen to this. So I'll give that stuff to you. I guarantee you. If you hear that stuff and then you follow along the game tonight, you start watching at 9 o'clock, you'll enjoy it. Guaranteed. All right? It'll still be basketball, and if you're not a basketball fan, you're not a basketball fan. It'll help the enjoyment of the game. That's coming up before the end of the show today. Let's talk basketball in London because we don't get a chance to do a little checkup of how basketball is going because as a sport, it does continue to progress in this country. It has been massive In the United States, it's been massive in parts of Europe. In Canada, we're starting to produce some very good basketball players. We have had a Canadian take a number one overall more than once. One of them didn't really work out, 
another one, jury's still out, but we have some very good Canadian-born basketball players. Steve Nash has now played his entire career and retired. He was phenomenal. But the actual minor basketball that exists in Canada is going through some growth even still and going through some changes. And we get an opportunity right now to talk with somebody who knows a great deal about it because he's immersed in it in two different ways. Jake Morrison is the head coach of the London Ramblers U15 team. He's also the head coach of the Banting Broncos junior boys basketball team. And he joins us on London Live. Jake, let's begin where we've begun with most people. Let's begin with the Raptors. What do you think? You even going to stay up until the end of game one, late into the night, maybe early into tomorrow, as the Raptors and the Warriors play game one of the finals? Absolutely. It's a really (laughs) exciting time to be a Raptors fan these days. Absolutely it is. Have you been a Raptors fan since the beginning? Uh, I'd be a fraud if I say I have. I I originally grew up and I... Loved watching Kobe Bryant, so I, I liked the Lakers. And then as I got older, there was no way I was going to stay up till 10.30 to continue watching the Lakers. So it made the, the transition to a Raptors fan pretty easy. And it's a, it's been a great time to be a, be a Raptors fan. When you look at your teams, because the guys will come in and you know some of them won't necessarily be cheering for the Raptors. What do you find? Do you find maybe a, a majority of Raptors fans among players you coach? Or is it all of a sudden, well, that guy cheers for Orlando and that guy's, that guy's a fan of New Orleans. We don't even know how that happened. Do you find that? Oh, yeah. We have uh, a ton of fans. Everybody like, seems to like a different team. Um, there, are, there are a number of Raptors fans. But what I find is a lot of the, a lot of the kids go where, uh, where their favorite player plays. Um, so some of the favorite players, obviously, being LeBron James or you know, Paul George, Russell Westbrook come to mind. Um, but a lot, of the, a lot of the kids seem to pick their favorite team based on who their favorite player is. Wow. And do they try and model their games after those players? Yeah, I, I think so. A lot of the time, right? I mean, I think I think we all. That's one thing that doesn't change over time is everybody does pick someone to emulate, and the, and then you can see it in what the way they do uh, everything, right? Well, let's talk a little bit about minor basketball because anyone who's never been around it needs to know that it's it's kind of still growing in this country. This past year, something did happen that that kind of changed things a little bit, and that was the implementation of a league, which in past years, there hasn't really, it's not like you can say, okay, well, London's going to be in Belmont, and then you're going to play Sarnia, and then on Friday Mm -hmm. we play the Windsor team. It's not necessarily like that. Can you maybe even rewind time a little bit more to how it has been before this year? So I believe that the OBL, the Ontario Basketball League, I can't tell you exactly when it came in, but it's been in there for a couple years now. Um, and it's, it's changed the format from everybody just playing tournaments for the whole season. And then you play your tournaments uh, in order to get a ranking for the end of the season. And then based on your ranking um, is where you'll play in that, at that level in the provincials. Um, so there was a transition where uh, I believe the, the Ontario Basketball Association must have um, thought that having a league would work quite a bit better. So now the, the idea is that you have your pre-scheduled games um, and they, they try to put it as against, against teams that are fairly equal to you. Um, and you'll, you'll go down and you'll play two games in one day and then come home. Um, so for us, it worked out quite well this year, but it is a lot, for the London teams, it ends up being a lot of traveling. 
Uh, we played at sites like Oshawa, Markham, Mississauga, Brampton. Um, no, nothing, uh, nothing closer than about two hours away. Wow. Now, how did you find that went overall in terms of the competition or, or the enjoyment of the season for you and the players? Well, we had a great a great group of players. They all got along really, really well. We had very, very supportive parents as well. So everything went fantastically. Um, with that being said, it, it is a big commitment because, you know, to have the two-hour drive there, two-hour drive back, and then play two games and have some space in between that games, it really is a full day. Um, at some of the OBL sessions, they do a Saturday and Sunday, so it ends up being a really full weekend in total. Um, it would be obviously a lot nicer to be able to play closer to home um, because you want to avoid things like hotel costs and stuff of that nature as well. Jake Morrison joining us. Jake is the head coach of the London Ramblers U15 boys team, also a coach of the Banting Broncos. And we're looking at minor basketball and some of those transitions where it used to be really tournament-based. Now the growth of leagues may be coming in, and who knows, maybe you do get a, a Kitchener and a Sarnia and a Brantford eventually. Overall, in terms of the skill level of players, what do you see from from that standpoint? Are we are we creating big time basketball stars, or is the skill level changing at all? Uh, I believe so. There seems to be more specific programs uh, being created that are that are targeted towards developing those elite level basketball players. Um, you can see now with regards to things like um, the different prep schools that have been popping up. So London would have two in, in the Southwest Academy out at RMC, and then it would also have the London Basketball Academy based at Saunders. Um, so some of those type of uh, leagues are that are, are coming in to almost replace the high school and, and give those other players um, that really do want to be elite the ability to. Um, but with, I mean, with that being said, I, I do see some really, really good, strong prospects coming up uh, that you know are pretty doing having a lot of success, not just in London, but outside of London as well. So in other words, you've got kind of the cream of the crop that would be looking at maybe an academy and would actually leave their high school program or even their club team and go play at that academy? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so it's, it's a similar idea to uh, Beal hosted a tournament years ago where they'd bring in the prep schools from the state, um, which are the private schools that would put, the, put players on scholarships. Uh, and gear their basketball programs towards getting those kids um, Division One scholarships, and where you wouldn't be at that level yet, where where those programs were. But I believe the the idea is, and hope is to get to that level. We're talking with Jake Morrison, who is a coach with the London Ramblers, is a coach with Banting. In terms of club versus high school, what would some of the differences there be? Uh, a couple of differences I. I've personally experienced is uh, in high school, you, you are going to have players that are um, just out there to have a good time and be active. And that's a really good thing, right? Um, with, with club, people are more, you're, they're going to be a little bit more um, focused on, on basketball, I would say. Uh, sometimes one of the big differences as well I've experienced is, is more so the family structure in terms of lots of times, for, for club basketball, you really do need a lot of family support because we are doing all the traveling. The whole OBA season, we were, we were in Toronto the whole time. We're going to be starting a summer season right now where we're going to be 
playing tournaments in Detroit and around Michigan all summer, so they really do need that family support. Um, whereas with high school, um, sometimes the you know parents don't necessarily have to be very involved. Do you find that the players who are playing club have a skills advantage over players in high school? Not necessarily. Uh, there are there there are. It would depend, I believe, on the team, um, and uh, a lot of it just comes down to each player's commitment to being to being good and putting in the time. You know, we live in a time really right now where where information is so readily available for all the players, so they could go and seek out information on things like YouTube online, um, and then they can be able to drill themselves off of that type of thing. They can find workouts to be able to, you know, strengthen their body, different plyometric workouts to be able to increase their vertical jump and all of that. And that, and that's all online as well. But if you're, you have to be very diligent in doing that. Do I think um, playing club basketball is a huge competitive advantage? Absolutely. Uh, there's no, there's no replacement for all that game action. Um, when you put together a lot of people that are really, really engaged, you can end up creating quite a competitive environment. And some of our guys are really excelling in that right now. So um, we have some, we have a few players that have really just taken their games to the next level over the last three months of the club season. So that's been a huge advantage for them. You mentioned playing teams from the United States. Does that ha- happen often? Well, we've structured our season this year so that during the spring we are going to be in Ontario the whole spring, and during the summer we're going to be in the, the U.S. all summer. Does that happen often? I would say most teams probably aren't doing that. Uh, our players are, have a lot of fun together. They're getting along great. And, you know, they want to take that competitiveness and that extra mile. Um, and it's a great opportunity to, to experience a different basketball. There are uh, different dynamics playing in Detroit than there are in Toronto. So you get comfortable with both, right? What would be some of those differences? Because, you know, you think back sometimes – Kids in in certain leagues or certain programs might play a tournament in Toronto and and not be ready for a little elbow off the release of a free throw. And next thing you know, it's 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 a whole lot more aggressive maybe than they were anticipating. What are some of the differences when when you talk about U.S. and and Canada? Well, in terms of the aggressiveness, I would say that in the U.S. you'll actually find it's more aggressive than in the GTA. Uh, in the GTA, maybe a little bit more aggressive than in London. So. Um, you know, they do in Detroit, in a place like Detroit, let a lot of physical play go. Uh, but it's a really good opportunity for the kids to learn to play through that type of physical um, play and to learn that as they get older, uh, you know, it's not just all about developing your different basketball skills, but you, re- because I'm coaching grade nines as well, that they have to develop their bodies as well to be able to better take the physicality that comes with it. Right. Um, you know, like a, a memory of mine from last summer, was in our first game in Detroit. Uh, when we were down by about four or five points with 30 seconds left, and one of our players asked me if he should foul. And I looked up at the clock, and the team fouls were at zero for both sides. So they hadn't called a foul all half, so there's no point in fouling to try to put them <laughs> in a bonus. Um, right? So uh, it was a, but you know what? It was a fantastic experience for all the guys. So we're looking to, to duplicate that again. We're talking with Jake Morrison. He is the head coach of the London Ramblers U15 boys team and a coach of the Banting Broncos as well. Jake, one final thing, and that is, you know, providing what is needed. We always look at whether it's in the hockey world, developing nations are always talking about needing more rinks or needing more coaches. 
How do you think basketball sits in Canada right now with gym accessibility and, and coaches? I think we, we have a long ways to go. Um, I know that from talking to the, the president of, Ram, of Ramblers, um, gym accessibility typically isn't an issue. I'm sure a lot of the different clubs would love to run more teams. But the, the gyms are typically booked up with different, with different activities, whether it be volleyball, basketball, whatever have you. Uh, in terms of coaching, I, I do think that um, it is a sport that definitely needs more coaches. I know at my tryouts, for example, there's about 60 kids trying out, and I'm able to take 12. So, you know, you realistically have another 45 to 50 um, not playing now, right? So, uh, you know, and that's where more coaches, more gyms, can give them a lot more opportunities. Um, it really shouldn't just be, in my opinion, the top 20% that I'm taking, right? Like, we should be able to try to find a way to get it to maybe the top 50% get to play competitively instead. Definitely. All right. Well, hey, you've painted a fantastic picture. Jake, enjoy tomorrow, even though you might be a little bleary-eyed, but especially enjoy tonight in Game 1 of the NBA Finals. Absolutely. Thank you. Jake Morrison, head coach of the London Ramblers, under-15 team, head coach of the Banting Broncos Junior Boys basketball team. A little bit on minor basketball in this area and how it is coming around. They are starting leagues. It's been years, but it's been tournament-based, which sounds weird, but you start leagues and things really hit a new level. Let's take a break. We'll come back and let you know what's still ahead on London Live next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFBL. So, we'll talk some Raptors, and I want to get anybody who isn't ready to be a fan, ready to be a fan, ready to enjoy this, because it doesn't come around very often. The first person we'll speak to is Matt Weaver from Country 104, and you'll see why. He'll tell us a Tickle Me Elmo equivalent type story, and we'll talk superstitions among fans, and then we're going to look at who some of the people are who are going to be key people in this series between the Raptors and the Golden State Warriors. You'll learn things about Kawhi Leonard that, unless you've done a lot of deep digging, you probably won't already know, and it will make you like him even more than you already do. That and more ahead on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Before the end of the show today... My goal is to turn you into a Toronto Raptors fan or even a Golden State Warriors fan. Even if you are not, just a few stories to tell you about some of the players involved that will get you saying, you know what, I, I didn't know that. Wow, look at that. And it has nothing to do with stats. We're not going to go through three-point shooting, free-throw percentages. We're not going to go through plus-minus stuff. We're not doing any of that. This will just be humanizing some of the people. And I want to thank Tom because Tom actually tweeted about Marc Gasol. And I don't know if you've seen what Marc Gasol has been involved in. He and his brother, Pau, who both play in the NBA, they're both from Spain. They have a foundation and they have been helping people for a long time. But this past year, Marc Gasol in the offseason did something that went even above and beyond the outreach of his foundation. He actually worked with Proactiva Open Arms. So here's what Proactiva Open Arms does. There are people fleeing countries like Libya, and they will try and get across the Mediterranean. Think about people who try and land in Florida in the United States as they come from Cuba or, or you name it. We've had all kinds of stories like that. Well, picture a similar 
operation. Now, the Italian government, for one, had said, you know what, we don't want any more refugees coming across the Mediterranean and landing here. We don't want ships docking here, so or boats docking here. Sometimes they're not ships. So they've been causing some problems for those individuals. And for instance, Marc Gasol was out in the Mediterranean and happened to be on a boat that rescued a woman who had been clinging to a piece of wood for 48 hours. There had been a shipwreck. They're not sure how the ship was wrecked. You can probably use your own imagination. But she was clinging to this piece of wood for 48 hours. And they brought her in. They saved her life. And he had said, I have no idea why countries are saying no to people like this and and not appreciating the risks that they are going through in order to try and get away from a country that they feel they can't live in anymore. He says, I'm a dad, have children, can't even imagine. That same boat pulled bodies out of the water, one of them of a toddler. And that's what he did. So as much as we started off this week talking about NBA players and how much some of them were making, and I still don't know how the salaries have inflated to the numbers that they have. I do. I understand supply and demand. I understand basic capitalism. But I don't understand how how we're at this point. I still think there's a tipping point. But when you look at the fact that Marcus Gasol could have used his paycheck and sat on a beach somewhere or taken a trip around the world instead, what did he decide to do? He decided to learn a little bit more about what certain organizations like Proactiva Open Arms are doing to save lives, and he was a part of it. So that's the kind of thing. Marcus Gasol is going to be the really big, tall guy, largely under the baskets, both ends of the floor, and he's going to be the guy trying to clog the lane, as basketball terms go, where you prevent people from trying to dribble closer to the basket. That's kind of him. He's a... He's a great defensive player, and he's just a great human being. So that's a little bit on Marc Gasol. We'll tell some more stories about some other guys. Remember, Marc Gasol tonight, big guy, huge guy, curly hair, beard, and think of the size of his heart as you watch him play tonight against the Golden State Warriors. Playing Golden State is actually a lot like having triplets. If you've ever had a baby, you know when you bring that baby home, it's a weird feeling, right? Because it's another human, and they depend on you for their existence, and you kind of think, I don't know if I can do this. It's kind of freaky. It's kind of wild. Um, well, talk to anybody who's had triplets, because they're bringing home three babies at the same time. The Golden State Warriors are kind of like that. They are every challenge you could ever imagine from an opponent in basketball. Whatever you throw at them, they have an answer for. So it's like having three babies at the same time. But here's the thing. If you get to know somebody who has had triplets, they will tell you at the beginning, it was insane. We didn't know what day was up, down, left, right. One needed a bottle. The other had pooped. The third, we didn't even know where he was. And so eventually, what happens? Eventually, you get used to it. You sort out the routine. You figure it out. The Raptors, of course, are going to have to do this quickly. It's kind of like somebody who's had triplets the second time. 
You got to do it fast. Got to get into a routine. Got to get the baby sleeping on the same schedule. That way you can sleep. Sharing the load. All that's very good. That's kind of what playing the Golden State Warriors is like. So if you see the Raptors succeeding, think of the parents with triplets. They're the ones figuring it out. If it doesn't happen right away, sometimes it takes time. The Raptors have a best of seven. So first one to win four wins the championship. They've never been there before. We'll talk to Weaver from Country 104 in just a moment, and then we'll run down some more stories about some players to put some some faces to the names. Trust me, you can enjoy this. It doesn't happen every once in a while. It doesn't happen very often. Only happens every once in a while, but it's happening now. It's the NBA Finals. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let's welcome a very good friend of ours to the studio. You can hear him until 7 o'clock tonight on Country 104. Matt Weaver. And Weaver is the biggest Raptors fan we have at Chorus Radio London. Weaver, if I can describe you, you're decked out right now in white and gold, a Raptors jersey, a We the North official Kawhi Leonard jersey. This Correct. is this is beautiful. It's it's a lovely jersey. Thanks to Mama Weaver for uh, wrangling this from Champs in Masonville. Quick story for you there, Mike. Got a call from my mother the other day. She's running through the parking lot of Masonville. My mother doesn't run. What are you running for? And and she says to me, I think I'm being followed. Okay, okay, you got to back up a bit. What is going on here? And she says, I went to Champs because I heard that the Raptors made the finals. And I heard you say if they made the finals, you would finally buy a Kawhi jersey to show some respect because he took you so far. So I thought I'd surprise you with the jersey. So I went to Champs. They only had one large and one extra large, and a woman was holding them. And she's holding them with her daughter going, is you know, is, is Johnny uh, extra large or a large? Extra large or a large? And they put the large down, and my mother grabbed it off the rack, ran to the register, bought it, <laughs> and ran out the mall. And the other woman followed her. That's how big uh, the Raptors are in Canada right now. Jerseys are flying off the shelves. These are like Tickle Me Elmo stories. Yeah, and it's funny because they're going to be 50% or 80% off in about six weeks when oh, Kawhi doesn't sign with the Raptors. Oh, oh that's not what we're here We don't want to think sorry. about that. <laughs> what we do have to talk about, though, is you're wearing your Kawhi Leonard jersey right now. You will not be able to wear it and watch the game, and that doesn't make any sense. No, it does make sense because it turns out, as I have learned through many years of playoff runs, that I'm quite a superstitious character. So let me take you back uh, to Game 3 Eastern Conference Finals, Toronto Raptors against the Milwaukee Bucks. They're this down 2 nothing. at this point. They're down 2 nothing, and this is in Toronto. Now, I wake up that morning, and I just wake up on the wrong side of the bed, right? So, uh, you know, everything's going wrong that could possibly go wrong throughout your day. So when I got home after my radio show on Country 104 at 7 o'clock, just after 7, I said, I need to shake this day off because I can't go into this do-or-die game, basically, stressing out like that. So, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to take the dogs down to the river, the Thames River, where my house is, and just walk them. And then I'm going to find a spot on the water, and I'm going to just kind of reset a little bit. So I did that, and I got home a little late. So now the game was on PVR, and it had been recording for about 30 minutes. So I put on my Toronto Raptors Kyle Lowry red jersey and a green Raptors hat and sat down. The Raptors won. I said, okay. So I did that again for the next game, game four, at home for Toronto. Walked the dogs at the river, recentered, watched the game exactly half an hour late on the PVR, 
wore the same hat in the jersey. They won. They did this four <laughs> times in a row, Mike. And now I can't stop because it's going to win us the title. That's all I think about this right now. So tonight, you are going to finish your show on Country 104. Correct. You are going to go home. You're going to get the dogs. I'm going to get the dogs. I'm going to go down to the Thames River. Same place. Same place. I walk the same way because it takes them about 20 minutes to get the anxiety down from the day in the house. And then we find a spot on the water. Dogs are playing around, splishy, splashy, and I get recentered. For a 30-minute late PVR game. And you have the PVR set right now? I got the PVR set ready to go. You're ready. We're ready. Are you feeling good about this? Yeah, I am. Just don't send me spoilers between 9 and 9.30 before I catch up. (laughs) Weaver, you are the best. Good luck. Enjoy. And uh, you'll be one of the bleary-eyed Canadians tomorrow. I'll look forward to seeing it. I look forward to it, too. Thanks, Mike. I plan to be one of them, too. (laughs) Weaver, heading out of the studio, back to Country 104. See, that's that's where we are right now. That's where we are. Any little bit just might help. Okay, if you are not a Raptors fan, here very quickly is a little something to know about some players. We talked about Marcus Gasol, thanks to Tom and the proactive open arms work that he does, the charitable work that he does. So many players will do a lot of charitable work. And a lot of times athletes will say, I want to – cut a check, I don't want to make a big deal out of this. Because they don't want to make it about themselves. You have no idea behind the scenes what goes on where they will make a donation and they do not want anyone to know about it. They want to do it because they want to do it. They want to do it because they're in a position to help. It's kind of like when you make a charitable donation, you don't expect someone to come to your door and take a picture of you. That's not what it's about. If you're in a position to do it, you do it. Because you're able to help. So you got to remember, these guys are not all bad. They're not all drizzly millionaires. Remember that, okay? Now, one of the guys you need to get to know on the Toronto Raptors is Pascal Siakam. Pascal Siakam is a guy who was born in Cameroon. And he wanted to be a priest. So when somebody asked him when he was five years old, what do you want to be? want to be a priest. Okay. He was part of a, a Catholic family, very family, very religious. He was actually selected to go to a school, not because of his basketball ability, because of his faith. And at 15 years old, so think about that. A lot of guys are getting ready for the NBA draft at 18, and they're drafted at 19. So that's, that's kind of that window. 19 years old, you're selected. He's 15 years old. If someone asked him about basketball at 15, Pascal Siakam said, yeah, no, I don't think so. I'm not. My brothers, my brothers play that sport. And they did. They were very good, very tall family. And a lot of them actually got scholarships and went and played college in the United States. At 15, Pascal Siakam still wanted to be a priest. And then a guy who played in the NBA, Luke Mute, ended up in Cameroon convinced Pascal Siakam to come to a basketball camp. This guy, great athlete. So he said, just just come and play at this camp. And it turned out that that was a camp where now Raptors president, Masai Ujiri, was attending in Cameroon. And one thing led to another. And in 2016, when Pascal Siakam was a little older and had actually taken a scholarship and come and played college basketball... Raptors drafted him 27th overall. And now he's one of those budding stars on the team. Didn't think about even playing basketball till he was 15. So when you see the really tall, kind of skinny guy on the Toronto Raptors, that's Pascal Siakam. 
And that's his story. Okay, the big name that you can get to know on the Raptors is Kawhi Leonard. How much do you know about Kawhi Leonard? You may have heard that he's kind of a quiet guy. Oh, he's only here for one year. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Kawhi Leonard is the youngest of five. He has four older sisters, okay? No brothers, four older sisters. At seven years old, he's in the doctor's office having a checkup with a doctor. And he stops whatever the doctor was doing, listening to his heart or checking his reflexes or any of that stuff. And he says, Doc, I want to tell you something. And he's a pretty quiet kid, so this is a rare thing. I'm going to play in the NBA. And to hear the doctor tell the story to this day, the doctor says, yeah, do you know how many kids tell me that? Well, he had this conviction in his eyes. Kawhi Leonard never wanted to make a scene. He was the guy who did play some football when he was young, but he would score a touchdown and immediately just hand the ball to the referee. No celebration. His family members say he didn't even like to have his birthday. Didn't like it because it drew attention to him. And he, something about that, he's not a fan of. So this is not your typical, I'm the best in the world and you need to know it, put me on a poster kind of guy. That's not Kawhi Leonard at all. He's the guy who didn't even like to celebrate his birthday. Now, he did have some heroes growing up. He owned a copy of Michael Jordan's Come Fly With Me and apparently wore that thing out. He would watch that so many times over and over and over. Now he's a guy that some of the basketball experts say scores like Michael Jordan and defends like Scottie Pippen at the same time. He is very skilled. Went through some tragedy pretty early on in his life. Kawhi Leonard's father was killed when he was 16 years old. He grew up in kind of a rough part in L.A., and his dad was killed when he was 16. He wears his hair in cornrows, so you'll be able to spot Kawhi Leonard if you don't know him. And he does that as a tribute to Carmelo Anthony, who is another player who played in the NBA, but somebody that Kawhi Leonard looked up to, kind of like, hey, there's a great basketball player. One day I'd love to be like him. And he's actually been told, you know what, Kawhi, you could expand your endorsement portfolio if you shave the cornrows. And every time somebody says that to him, he apparently just shrugs. That's not him. That's not what he's about. He was once asked by a coach, do you want to be good or do you want to be great? And the coach stopped him. In life, you always need good mentors. You always need good coaches. You always need good teachers. In the workplace, you need good managers. You need people who are going to help you succeed. So this coach took Kawhi Leonard's side and he said, Kawhi, you're a very skilled athlete. Do you want to be good or do you want to be great? And Kawhi was thinking about it and the coach stopped him and said, I don't want you to answer. I want you to go home and really think about this. I want you to sleep on this. And then I want you to come back and tell me your answer. And Kawhi Leonard went home, slept on it, thought about it. This is the guy who Greg Popovich, a former coach of his, says has the 250-mile stare, and he does. He's a quiet guy. And he said, I want to be great. Those are the only words he said. I want to be great. And he is. And tonight, if you stay up till 9 o'clock, grab a quick nap, and you watch what Kawhi Leonard does, you'll realize pretty quickly why so many people are so crazy for this Raptors team and why he is so great. Try to become a fan. This doesn't come around very often. And those are some reasons why you can follow 
some of those Raptors players and root for these guys. Not based on what they're doing, based on who they are. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you do want to go against the grain and cheer for the Golden State Warriors, uh, you can do that too. We'll tell some stories about them tomorrow. Out of time for the day. News is on the way next. Jacqueline LaBelle will take you through the day's latest stories. If you haven't heard what was uncovered on the Craig Needle Show earlier today, we'll have details on that. Remember, you can catch the Craig Needle Show between 9 and noon every day. Thanks so much to Kelly Wong for her help today in Behind the Scenes. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.